Alrighty, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show Tyler does where he talks about the things that he's seen since the last time Tyler did one of these. That's right, it's a Tyler's Movie Journal. Tyler's back. Hello. How's it going? Uh, things are going fine with, with me. I'm just getting over a bout of, uh, of COVID, um, which is cert- the worst thing medically that's happened to the Battleship Retention family in a long time no the real question is how are you doing because i understand there have been advances uh yes things are going uh pretty well um still can't move unfortunately but i'm getting i'm getting some movement back or at the very least uh i'm able to tense my uh my uh, pectoral muscles and my shoulders and recently my uh my abdominal muscles so and as a probably as a function of the abdominal muscles um i now have a little more control over my diaphragm which has led me to be able to uh do some breathing exercises that are kind of amazing um those of you who follow me on twitter already know this but uh basically a week and a half ago on sort of a whim I asked the nurse to uh, pop the trach off, and I tried to breathe completely on my own, uh, and I got about two minutes, and that was very exciting, and uh, as of a couple days ago, I got up to 27 minutes, and so uh, that's very exciting, and apparently that uh, amount of progress is a little unheard of as far as uh, people in my situation, so I'm going to keep keep going and see how it goes and and you know it's probably at least a couple months off but uh once i get this once i'm no longer connected to the ventilator that also means that i'll get my voice back and so you guys won't have to listen to the this this bullshit anymore and uh so yeah i'm looking forward to that and uh everyone here seems very very optimistic uh like so to give you a little bit of my kind of situation um uh, i am paralyzed but i also feel everything i have full sensation in my entire body and sorry to get too uh graphic but i also have bladder control and between those two things uh everyone's like oh geez you're gonna be fine and so that level of like casual confidence and optimism uh, has really given me a lot of hope um, but also, I really appreciate the encouragement that you guys have given me. And also, uh, Jen was looking through uh, our our GoFundMe and was like looking at individual donations. And I gotta say, you guys have been so generous, and I'm I'm so grateful. Um, you know, I mean, the fact that you would give money to a complete stranger and i know that you know when you listen to podcasts it doesn't seem like that but you know i'm i you i'm not like a person in your life and the fact that you are still willing to to donate so much money is it's really touching so i really appreciate it but uh yeah i think that catches people up yeah hopefully i get some of the credit for browbeating the listeners into uh donating (laughs) um uh yeah listeners I, we recorded the episode that's coming out in a few days uh, with with Scott and Julie before this, and I like started to give 
updates about you and then I remembered we were doing this. So I apologize in advance for the awkwardness of that <laughs> of that episode. Um, and also, I, I'm in a new facility that's a lot closer to home. I was in one in Oxnard, which is like at least an hour away for Jen and the kids, uh, along with most of my friends who live in the valley. Um, so I'm now in Chatsworth and I'm only 15 minutes away from Jen and the boys. And then also, in a complete coincidence, uh, my the facility I'm in is literally next door to my church. Uh, it's very strange, and that was not uh, that was not intended. It's just an odd turn of events. But, uh, but so, wait, the people who run this facility are not a part of the congregation of that church? No, not at all. This this facility has been around for like uh, like a couple decades and we only moved into this church building like a year and a half ago so it really is like and so when jen heard about this place she and her brother were driving over to tour the facility and she as they were getting closer jones like oh this place is close to church and then when she pulled up pulled in she's like oh wait this place is literally right next to church like the facility has a backyard with a like a, a fence around it or a wall around it and there's a, but there's a little gate in that wall, and if you walk through it, you're on the church property. It's very strange, but also kind of cra- kind of wonderful. Yeah, um, I was gonna say something about working in mysterious ways, but it would have counted, sounded sarcastic coming from me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, speaking of the listeners and how nice they are, we have some more uh, mail. Uh, although I'm realizing that I never took the last batch of mail out of this bag, so I'm worried that I'm going to, like, um, duplicate some stuff. Um, uh, here's one. Oh, I assumed, I had a postcard. I assumed it was Peter, but it's not. It's, it's, uh, uh, Albert from Richmond, 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 Virginia, where I've been. Uh, Tyler, it is good to hear of your recovery process, and with David, your thoughts on film, and it's, uh... A uh, very cool North by Northwest uh, postcards. No, oh, that's awesome. Thank you, Albert. That's nice of you. Oh, what do we got Okay. There? Well, this is from Peter, and this one might have been one of the ones that I opened before and just resealed in the bag. Let's oh. see. Um, but Peter's, like, sent a lot of stuff, which is great. Uh, we always love to hear from Peter. Yeah. Um, did he send us this before? That doesn't look familiar to me. No, okay. Is there a date? This is from January. Oh, okay. But I've done the, but I don't remember, I, I might have, I might have not opened it last time. Uh, Tyler and David, I was shocked when I first learned about Tyler's illness and the uncertainty associated with it. I was just as shocked in the opposite direction, in the best way, to hear his voice on the podcast again. Elated or relieved or hopeful or grateful is probably a better word for it. I was so, so happy to hear your familiar humor, quick wit, sarcasm and optimism and grace in your life. I do hope that the part of you that is your body recovers, but I'm uplifted to know that your mind and more importantly, your spirit, oh, this is longer than I realized, is as strong as ever. INLBP listeners across the globe would love to hear our beloved co-hosts on air together again soon as your healing allows. Until then, here's an article by Wesley Morris of the New York Times I thought you might be interested in. I don't know if you've ever done an episode about movie stars. We did very early on. What, uh, what defines one? Who are some classic and modern examples? And how has their stardom changed over time, especially in relationship to streaming, direct-to-video, golden age of TV, etc.? 
uh, and it's from Peter. And yeah, here's a uh, article by Wes. What did you say, Wesley Morris? Called "Where Did All the Movie Stars Go?" And it's got who's on it. It's got some Tom Tom Cruise and Miles Teller and uh, Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock from fucking Bullet Train. Um, yeah. So it's a yeah. I'll leave this here for Tyler to read at his leisure, or at the leisure of someone who was gonna hold it up for him. <laughs> Go ahead. Give, give me the mic. Oh, right. Sorry. So, David, my life is already depressing enough. You really did. I'd prefer you not bring up Bullet Train. All it does is make me sadder. Uh, oh, what's that? Yeah, uh, hold on a second. Yeah, I was thinking about Bullet Train, because I remember uh, at your old facility, your physical therapist, who's now uh, Haley, I think. Uh, uh, very nice lady. Uh, she loved a bullet train. Um, and I was, all right, I'm going to say this sort of thing. Look, I'm, I'm happy being the bad guy. This is the sort of thing that makes me sound like a snob, even though I don't, it's not what I mean. But I think bullet train is a god awful movie, but I'm also aware that it is awful in ways that might not be apparent to casual movie go. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. As you said, like she, you said she loved it. And my first thought was like. Yeah, a lot of normies would. Because they don't know how completely devoid of any single original thought that movie is. Oh, absolutely. Like, you know, and that's the thing is sometimes you, you just have to, like, point something out casually. Because, yeah, I've, I've talked to a couple other nurses and stuff, and they say they really like it. And then I say, I don't. And they say, why? And they ask why. And I say, like, well, first off, it's completely derivative of early Guy Ritchie, like Snatch and Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. And then the person's like, oh, yeah, I guess it is. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess it's not as ex- that's not as cool as I thought. And, you know, sometimes you just got to point stuff out. Um, and thankfully, with the bullet train, you don't have to spend a lot of time on it because it's also fucking obvious why it's so terrible. But, you know, obviously, there's going to be some there's some good action in there, and there's a couple of good performances. But you know, as I as I often say in my reviews, like the little bit of good only emphasizes how much of a wasted opportunity it was. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So that's. I'm not trying to say that I'm better than anyone because I watch 300 movies a year. God forbid. That probably makes me <laughs> worse than most people. <laughs> well, I, um, you know, I'll say this and no one's going to disagree with me because I'm paralyzed. Um, yeah, you're a better person for that reason. I think you're fine. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, all right, now we have a couple. And um, I don't know who this one is from. I'm sorry I keep using your... Uh, I'm assuming this is your knee here uh, under the, uh, <laughs> I don't know what this is, right? Is that your hand? Uh, yeah, that's my hand, but thankfully you're actually not setting anything on me. Jen has, uh, Jen has no problem using me as a table, uh, as a table, and, uh, thankfully everyone else tries to avoid it, which I appreciate, because it turns out I, uh, I still do have a body, useless as it is. Um, all right, so uh, this, I think this must have gotten lost in the mail at some point and eventually showed up because it is currently April. Yeah. And this is from Sarah, our contributor and long-term listener, and I'm pretty sure this is her annual Christmas card. Yeah. Um, so here's a little, like, 
crocheted like film counter like uh, it says four on it um, and here's one that says three. Oh, okay maybe the two and one are somewhere else um, so yeah Sarah says sorry this is late okay so she but I still think it would took a long time because she said, "Sorry, this late. I had so I had postage issues." Happy New Year now. Uh, she says, D- "David Tyler and Scott," um, because she says, "Thank you for keeping B- BP going during a difficult year." So I think Scott deserves some credit for that, right? I I, I think so. I'm tremendously grateful for Scott. Yeah, I realize I'm standing next to your phone. Would you use voice to text now? And there is now, I have drafted to your wife a multi paragraph long text of just all the shit I've been saying. (laughs) I need to uh, undo all this. I'll I'll do it later. Okay. Um, I'm just going to get out of. Out of the text message thing. Um, Okay, so sorry, I was in the middle of reading what Sarah wrote for Christmas slash New Year's, which, again, it is almost Cinco de Mayo. Uh, um, I'm wishing Tyler a switch in full recovery. Here are some movie-themed magnets. Oh, they're magnets. Okay. For Scott and David, and I am making a donation to Tyler's GoFundMe in lieu of a homemade gift this year. Uh, I hope 2023 is filled with joy and good health for all. With love, Sarah. Thank you so much, Sarah. We always appreciate this. I'm going to take these back. Tyler can't have these. These are for me and Scott. Uh, (laughs) But you got a donation to your GoFundMe. Um, And also, Sarah used uh, in lieu of correctly, which a lot of people don't. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. um, And, you know, it's one of those things. it's uh, It's like when you get a gift card for your birthday, and it's like... Or, or for Christmas, and it's like an Amazon gift card, and you're like, oh, right, I'm going to buy some movies. And then your wife is like, we actually have things we could buy from Amazon that would be very useful. And I'm like, oh, man, useful. That's not what I want. And so, like, while I'm, well, Sarah, I'm very grateful for uh, your donation. Part of me is like, oh, that's less fun. See, here's why I disagree with that. I like, if I get an Amazon gift card, I don't think I'm going to spend this on a particular thing. I literally just load it onto my account and then whatever I need next from Amazon, it comes out because I think I'm going to spend that money anyway. So now if someone gives me a $30 Amazon gift card, they've essentially given me 30 extra dollars in cash to spend on whatever I want because now the fucking like light bulbs and laundry detergent or whatever are already paid for that I was going to have to buy anyway. Yes, I guess that is fun. And certainly as I get older, like practical things are something that I like take joy in but yeah it's still in my case like even like before all this happened like I it took a lot for me to buy a a blu-ray just for myself um and so like with a gift card it's like oh and if someone like gave me a gift card to like AMC it's like well there's only one thing I can spend this on and that'll be fun um but yeah so uh but I know what you mean like using it just to make your life a little more convenient there's nothing wrong with that at all yeah okay one more this is from kevin uh in london um i'm gonna set this down here if you want to say anything london what's all this then now i see that that this thing is uh, addressed to you specifically um i think it says battleship pretension david Bax. so uh, i'll just avert my eyes because it's for you
Oh. Um, it's a copy of the book Picture by Lillian Ross with a forward by Angelica Houston. Um, I do love Angelica Houston. Um, uh, and Kevin says, long time, hi, hey, long time listener. Just wanted to donate a book. That's literally how he says. Way to keep it short and sweet, Kevin. I like that. Yeah. Um. It's like, uh. Sorry. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like real life Twitter. Like you just think in terms of like, oh, I don't have a lot of time, so I'll save everyone else time. What now? What is this book? Can you do you know about it? Uh, well, I know that Lillian Ross worked at the New Yorker for more than half a century and might be described not only as an outstanding practitioner of modern long-form journalism, but also one of its inventors. Uh, this book, uh, Picture, originally published in 1952, is her most celebrated piece of reportage, a closely observed and completely absorbing story of how studio politics and misguided commercialism turn a promising movie into an all-around disaster. The charismatic and hard-bitten director John Huston is determined to make Stephen Crane's The Red Badge of Courage into a movie that is worthy of one of the great and defining works of American literature. At, at first, all goes well as Houston shoots and puts together a film that is he feels the best he's ever made. Then the studio bosses step in and the movie is taken out of Houston's hands, cut down by a third, and finally released. An expensive flop. Charlie Chaplin aptly described the picture as brilliant and sagacious. Uh, for Ernest Hemingway, it was much better than most novels. That's just not what I know about it off the top of my head. Like, yeah. Yeah, you know a lot more about it than I thought. Man, you're so you're so smart, David. A uh, bit of a renaissance man, you know. Uh, I know a little bit about a lot of different things. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so that's that out of the way. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Peter. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, Al was it Albert or Arthur? Albert. Albert, who sent the North by Northwest uh, postcard. Uh, thank you for all of that. But like we said, this is Tyler's Movie Journal. We have to get into what Tyler's been watching. Uh, and I don't know what order. Do you want to go in the order that are listed on the thing you gave me? Let's start with the ones that aren't actually listed. Okay. Go ahead. All right. So most, I'll say this. I've mostly been watching TV because it kills a lot of time. Um, and I've been re-watching a lot of stuff as well. But I'm not going to mention that because I've already talked about it a lot. But I will say that... I, I rewatched uh, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds for probably the first time in like 20 years. And uh, I just had a couple thoughts about it. Number one, I will say that that, mo that scene where the crows are gathering on the playground, that is one of the best scenes in movie history. Like, I, I just love the pacing of it. I like, it is, that scene is a masterclass in filmmaking. Like, and, you know, like, you see one crow, you see another crow, and then you focus on... You see one crow, you see them all. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's kind of true. Um, but, uh, and then you, we just focus on Tippy Hedren for a while, and then she notices a crow, and she follows it with her eyes, and then when it lands, you see that there are hundreds of crows on the playground, and it's just, it's just such a wonderful reveal. I mean... Like, The Birds is, is certainly not my favorite Hitchcock movie, but that sequence could very well be my favorite Hitchcock sequence. Um, Would it be controversial to say The Birds is, might be my... It's not my least favorite. Spellbound's my least favorite. But it's 
The Birds is pretty low on my list of Hitchcock movies. Well, it's, you know, I, I do think it's probably not as effective now as it was at the time, but this brings me to my next point. So as I was watching it, there was a moment, because, you know, The Birds is all about, like, these random things that are horrible, and there's no real reason behind them. The film came out in 64, and there's a moment where the characters are listening to the radio, and on the radio, uh, Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson is, like, uh, talking about, like, his responsibility as a new president and stuff. And the more I think about it, it's like, yeah, I imagine if I was alive in 63 and Kennedy was killed, I'd probably think, like, what is the reason for this? How does this make any sense at all? And that's kind of what The Birds is about, is just this, just the absolute chaos of life, and that, like, you'd, sometimes you just can't figure out why someone does stuff, does something, and so, like, you know, and that's, that's always applicable, like, when we hear about, like, a, a, a school shooting or something, it's like, how on earth does every, does anyone, like, entertain this idea as, like, something they actually want to do, and so, like, that little moment, it, 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 at least thematically, it sheds some light on the birds for me because, you know, one of the big things about the film is that there's no explanation given. And it's really just like, well, if you can't make sense of it, at the very least, you can try to get away from it and as a way of coping. And uh, so it gave me a, a new respect for the birds um, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'd never thought of it like that. Um... I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm also remembering now that, yeah, when Tippi Hedren gets attacked on the boat and the first uh, time her head goes back and to the left. Nice. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I've, been, I've watched it more recently than you had, but it's probably been five or six years. Um, I think I watched, because you, I borrowed your Hitchcock Blu-ray, or one of your Hitchcock Blu-ray sets and um, to show my nephew North by Northwest. And I think we also watched the birds and that was the last time probably six years ago yeah i actually started rewatching north by northwest but then i got distracted by something but i i want to return to it because it's just such a fun movie to watch it's a blast uh all right what's next all right next i'm gonna take two movies and put them together so i watched john wick chapter two and chapter three and uh i'd seen one uh, a while ab- a while ago and uh, I didn't feel much of a need to uh, go to watch the sequels because the violence kind of bothered me in the first one. And uh, as oh, good. Well, luckily, there's less of that in the second and third. <laughs> exactly. I think I was just, you know, I was looking to kill some time, and I knew that Chapter Four was coming out. Not that I'm in any position to see it, but um, but yeah, and so. Watching two and three, the violence didn't necessarily bother me, but I, I actually, like, after a certain point, like, you know that the violence and the action is going to be great. But after a while, you just get so used to it that it, it just, you get a little desensitized to it. But thankfully for me, and I think for you as well, the, the world building is so interesting you know, just all these different rules, and 
and just like the 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 iconography and like different types of characters like it all it all works together to like really create this you know it's a reality that looks like ours but it's completely different it's like this it's like this shadow world that exists that like normal people don't know about and uh and so that i i really enjoyed that and and season uh not season um Episode 3, sorry, Chapter 3, um, I haven't watched a lot of TV, um, Chapter 3 ends with such a cool cliffhanger that it's like, oh man, I can't wait to watch 4, oh right, I can't, and, uh, but yeah, but I, I enjoyed them, and of course, I don't mean to suggest that the violence is, is, you know, that it gets boring, but it's like, you just kind of accept they're like, oh yeah, okay, I, I, I know the level of what the violence is gonna be, and, and so for me, after a while, it just wasn't, it just wasn't as effective, or maybe, maybe it's, it wasn't quite as novel as it was in the first film, and, uh, but, you know, I could watch that world building, you know, all week long. Well, I, I, I think maybe the, the level of violence stays the same, but I still think that, like, the Chad Stahelski and and the choreographers keep coming up with new settings and and ways to you know you've, the second one has like a hall of mirrors sequence or it has the second one has that great sequence where there's like it's like parallel editing like him fighting three different guys yeah. or or it's like three guys and two girls or whatever but it's like three different fight scenes that are all happening at the same time I love that the third one of course has uh, near the beginning, it has the, uh, uh, is it a knife collection or something? Which is like, I feel like, I haven't seen the fourth one, but I feel like that knife scene in, in, in the beginning of the third one is where I realized like that tipped into, cause you've seen like Chad Stahelski loves Buster Keaton so much so that he keeps putting Buster Keaton like in, like in the movie, um, in like projecting Buster Keaton. And like, I feel like that knife fight at the beginning of the third one was the part when I realized like, okay, we're tipping into this being a super violent form of essentially silent comedy type of thing. And then like the horses in the third one and the dogs biting people's nuts off. Like it's the third one's like kind of funny. Well, and I I don't remember which uh, which movie it was for, but there's there's a poster where like there's a lot of guns pointed at Keanu Reeves' head, and that actually is tremendously similar to a, a promotional image of uh, Harold Lloyd, where uh, where he has all these guns pointed at his head, uh, and his head is, head is right in the middle. Um, That's yeah, probably not a a coincidence. Um, Okay, do you want to move on to your pre your your previously prepared list? Sure. Okay. All right. So, I'm at this point I've completely forgotten what I've talked with you about and what we've recorded about because uh you know, our last episode the last episode I was on was talking about the Oscars, and so it's entirely possible that a lot of the stuff I'm going to say here has been said before. And I just don't remember it because it could have also just been something that I talked to you about uh, when we weren't recording. So we'll start with uh, Ruben Oslin's, um Triangle of Sadness, which I actually liked quite a bit. I thought it was, you know, there are so many fun sequences and fun characters. Um, 
and what's interesting is when I, I mentioned to somebody that, that I liked it and they said that they were surprised because they, they saw the film as like anti-capitalist and I'm a firm believer in capitalism. Um, but I think, I think that's actually really short-sighted. I think it's about so much more than that. I think it really is about uh, power dynamics and the corrupting nature of power because when you think about it, the idea of well, I don't want to get... Well, I guess I don't want to get too in-depth. But, you know, a character who uh, previously did not have a lot of power suddenly has quite a bit. And we're meant to be like, oh, right. The 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 situation has changed, and now things are more fair. But then, sure enough, this person lets the power go to their head. And they become just as tyrannical as as the people that, uh, that this person was uh, sort of under. And so I think that's that's the brilliance of any of, of any movie that would seem to be satirical. Um, I feel this I feel the same way about the lobster, where it would seem to be like oh like an indictment of just cultural norms as far as like monogamy and stuff and and pairing with someone. But then just when you think you've got it pegged as this one thing, there is this entire other story element, and you're like, oh, this is about something bigger than one side of the political spectrum or another. It's about, it's about human nature in general. And so, so I really liked it. I thought it was uh, a wonderful film, and I love the ending because I've talked with it about, I've talked about it with a couple of people, and we all have different interpretations of what of, of what it is and what it means. Um, so I, yeah, I, I was really excited about it. It's interesting. I, mean, I know I talked about it uh, myself on a movie journal, but um, I also liked it, but not for the same reasons as you. I, I do think, especially in that third act you're talking about, when the shoe is on the other foot, that it's a little bit too obvious in its allegory, a little too simple. Um, and, and so I think some of the things that bother people about this movie and Ruben Austin in general do bother me, but just not very much, if that makes sense. Like also in addition to that, the movie is also very funny. A lot of the time I left constantly more than, more so than I did with the square, the square, uh, I thought was definitely a, a, a big, uh, letdown from, from Force Majeure, and I still don't think that, that Triangle of Sadness is at the level of Force Majeure, but um, I definitely had a really good time watching it, and I kind of don't care if it's a little on the nose at times when it has these this, these grand set pieces um, that are that are so much fun. I, you know, I, I point to like the sort of introduction of the second chapter the boat yeah, chapter yeah. which is like looks like a it's out of inception or something this like or or tenant like this uh uh espionage thing like a boat like speeding across the water under the super specific like uh uh closely guarded cargo and it turns out to just be a jar of nutella that one of the passengers on this luxury lot requested luxury yacht uh, requested like that's funny and it's like using sort of it's kind of in keeping with the movie's depiction of yell of wealth to like use grand scale filmmaking to make a tiny dumb joke and, like i like that stuff and it and it doesn't uh uh it, the the stuff that i don't like about the movie isn't strong enough to turn me off yeah and and i think i probably agree with you that it's too on the nose and i think the way to avoid that is if it is if he sort of 
uh, slowly made his way into that development. Like it was more of a, a longer transition as it is. It's pretty abrupt. And so I feel like anytime you make these big leaps, um, it's gonna seem more on the nose, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have act I actually uh, d did not see the square, but uh, uh, listeners might remember that I cited Force Majeure as one of the 10 best movies of the 2010s. Um, and uh, I, I stand by that. I feel like as good as Triangle of Sadness is, I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, Force Majeure, as far as his filmography is gonna be, it's just hard to beat because I think it's, it's so brilliant and so funny and yeah. Um, so uh, let's move on to another uh, another movie that uh, was like sort of an, sort of an Oscar film, and this is something that I might have talked about in our Oscar episode, and that is uh, the whale. Um, the whale. The whale. Um, man, what a waste of a good performance! Like, I mean, this is something that I you know the same argument argument could be made about Aronofsky's The Wrestler, but I feel like at least that has, like, some really interesting, uh, editing in the, in the wrestling ring and stuff like that, um, whereas this, like, Brendan Fraser is doing great work, I mean, I don't think anybody thought that he was capable of this, this level of depth, uh, but, and I think the rest of the cast does fine as well, but, I mean, it's obviously his show, um, but unfortunately, I just thought, like, it's just, I mean, I know you've said this before, and again, I probably did too, but, like, it's just, it's just so self-important, and it's just, it just layers this thing on it. I remember, I think I might have said that the film has the, the tone of a poem written by uh, a 16-year-old theater student, where it's just, like, it's just so overwrought, and... You know, there are good sequences, of course, um, mostly because of Fraser's performance. Um, but, uh, and you know what? Like, the film won Best Makeup, and I didn't even think the makeup was that good. Especially when you got, oh my gosh, when you've got that makeup from the Batman, where they made Colin Farrell look like a completely different person. Um, Whereas, yeah, I didn't think the makeup in, in The Whale was that particularly good. Um, so overall, I'd say the film was a letdown. I mean, I usually, and it's based on a play. I usually like movies that are based on plays and are character-focused. Uh, but yeah, this one was a, bit, a big letdown for me. Uh, yeah, listeners don't need to hear me say anything more about The Whale. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've said my piece. Uh, and also, I'm just so excited to move on to your next movie on, on, on the list. Because I don't... I, you've seen this since the last time we talked. I don't know how you feel about it, so I'm excited. Yeah, so the next film for me is Damien Chazelle's Babylon, which I fucking loved. I'm so glad to hear it. I've, I saw it once in the theater, and I watched it three times since it came on to Paramount+. Plus. I've seen it four times already. So that's a significant percentage of your life, because um, it's a long movie. But uh, no, man, I. So here's here's the thing that I was thinking about. So a lot of the movies that I've been rewatching, I I've gone through some Marvel movies that I haven't seen in a while. And like, well, like all the personality in the Marvel movies comes from the characters, and that's fine. But like. 
they're just so bland as far as like the visual quality of them and just the general tone that like increasingly I think I I just really enjoy spectacle and there's this feeling like where there's like a lot of effort putting in put into these movies to make them unique like you know one of my favorite movies last year was Elvis and then between that and Babylon and frankly even uh, everything everywhere all, all at once it's just like you really get a sense that these filmmakers are like putting a lot of themselves into it and they want to make it they want to make it memorable beyond just the characters and you know Babylon don't get me wrong I think there's a lot of good acting in it but uh but for me it's just like this this celebration of like entertainment and beauty and decadence and just all of these things that just transport you into this world and i mean it also helps that you know you and i are are fans of old hollywood and and this kind of evokes that in a way that that feels fresh to me um and yeah i uh boy i just i just really adored it and of course on top of everything uh how how much it references singing in the rain without actually referencing it is uh, something well, that I enjoy until the end when it does <laughs> yeah yeah except for that ending and I love that little montage yeah uh, that's man that really worked for me and so you know and that score right yeah I mean it's it's Hurwitz right yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah it was just. I had heard mixed things. I, in fact, I'd probably heard more negative things than positive. But boy, oh boy, I was... you got to hang out with a better class of people. Well, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I loved it. And, you know, it's three hours long, but it flew by. Um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, um, I don't want to say too much because I'm going to end up just repeating what... this. Obviously, this came up when Scott and I did our top ten of the year. It was my number four movie of the year. Um, uh, so I'm not going to repeat myself too much, but I think, uh, the, the, the phrase that I used then and might've even used like on Letterboxd or something is that it's a romantic deromanticization that he's like trying to like, like he's on the one hand, like showing you like, Hey, things weren't all great. Like, you know, it was, it was a, it was a messy, dangerous time, but also he can't help, but show it in the most like fun romantic way at the same time and that isn't a mistake or a quirk of Damien Chazelle that a big part of what the movie is about is that movies as an art are always getting better and worse at the same time and like um you know that's to me that Again, I'm repeating what I said in the top 10 list, but I've seen a number of people who are very obviously very superficial viewers refer to that montage at the end as like a like love letter to the movies or whatever. It's like you weren't thinking about what he chose to show and why he chose to show it. The, 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 the montage represents the movie's general point point of view of movies which is that they are always going to keep progressing and that's cool and great and we're going to keep coming up with new stuff to do with movies and also lives and careers are going to be lost and trampled under all of that at the same time both things are true uh and that's to me what what babylon is about yeah and that that scene between uh brad pitt and i forget who, who plays the gossip columnist uh gene smart 
Oh, yes, yes. And that scene between the two of them is great. And I feel like what she says is a good distillation of the film and what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, that that romantic... Uh, what was it? Rom- romantic deromanticization. Yeah, okay. Uh, like, a, uh, in that vein, like a good comparison would be like uh, like the Wild Bunch, where it's like... You know, it's definitely showing the brutality of the West, and it's like, I don't really like anybody here, but, and yet it's still done with such style that it's hard not to just buy into it and and, and love it, even though it's kind of daring you not to. But uh, anyway, okay, what's... Well, I have a question, actually, about you watching Babylon, because earlier I was in here while you were having your respiratory therapy, and you were watching some of All the President's Men, while there were multiple people your respiratory therapist and a cna i think uh someone else was in here uh and so i'm wondering is that how you watched babylon was someone sitting there while there was a woman pissing on a guy's head or there was a dude (laughs) biting the heads off of rats or (laughs) what was the situation all right so uh no i watched that one alone but you know there are all there are always people coming and going and babylon was one of those movies that like so i have a uh I have a, a, a voice-activated a Roku remote, and so, like, the moment someone walked in, it's like, I would say, like, hey, Roku, pause, and I would just, like, pause. Oh, yeah, I forgot that the remote is near me. Well, luckily, all the President's Men was already paused, so nothing new happened. But, uh, but yeah, so that was one, like, it's funny, because recently I was thinking of, like, Oh, you know what? I haven't like I haven't seen Eyes Wide Shut since the theater, and I was like, I should see that. And I thought, well, maybe this isn't the time. Um, but yeah, with Babylon, I had heard enough about it to just be, to realize like this is not one that I'm gonna leave playing. I don't want to get you know I don't want to get accused of sexual harassment when I'm fucking paralyzed and on a vent. But uh, anyway, okay, what's next? Okay, let's move on. What's next? Okay, yeah, so I watched uh, a classic movie called The Red House, starring uh, Edward G. Robinson, and uh, with with the same, uh, s- like, kind of this, some similar cast members, and I think the same director, or maybe the producer, as uh, Scarlet Street, and uh, The Red House, man, this is something, we're like a broken record, this is something we've said before, that even though we love classic movies, like, we tend to think there's a lack of sophistication to them or a lack of complexity. And then you see a movie like The Red House, which has to do with, like, this obsession and a desire to, like, uh, possess other people. And you watch that and you're like, what am I talking about? Like, it's it's so it's so stupid to, like, think, like, like, oh, yes, art was just so simple back then. It's like, no, it wasn't. Like, as it turns out, people have kind of been the same way since the beginning of time. And, uh, and they just maybe had different ways of expressing it in, in classic movies. But then you see a movie like this or, you know, Night of the Hunter or something like that. And you just think, like, man, this is a tremendously complex um, melodrama with some suspense elements. Um, and yeah, and it's always fun to see uh, Edward G. Robinson, who's like this classic tough guy, like yeah. see him as just like a complete psychopath. 
and and but so that's not really how we're introduced to him in the red house he's like uh it's funny to edward G. robinson you know like the entire reason that everyone when everyone does an impression of a 30s gangster they go yeah. nah see to see him as like a rural like is it supposed to be like arkansas rural arkansas like farmer like quiet old man yeah and that's you know and that's that's what i like uh, same with scarlet street honestly where like he just seems like this mild-mannered respectable guy and then over the course of the film you just see what what's underneath the surface and i think it's it's pretty awesome that he was able to like shed his tough guy persona and uh and really show like this tremendous instability so yeah if you can watch the red house you 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 definitely should uh yeah it's a really good movie it's um i I, someone put it out in a collection of noir movies which i don't think it is i don't think it qualifies as a noir movie other than like having edward g robinson in it but uh what it actually is without ever specifically having anything like ghostly or supernatural the red house like feels like a horror movie as it goes on um i love that movie uh you can currently stream it on paramount plus or prime uh i think it might even be be available on youtube frankly ah yeah i'm wrong about that Uh, you you said it might be available on youtube i don't know if the listeners heard that yeah um the closest a film that I would, yeah, I don't think it's a noir, but um, I would say it's most, it's closest to Alfred Alfred Hitchcock's Rebecca, which feels like a horror movie, and it feels like there's a, a, a ghostly presence, but there isn't, like, the only, the only ghostly presence are just, like, the, the actions and words that have haunted these characters, and yeah, I, yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, Richard Robinson, Rory Calhoun, who's always like you know walking around, yeah. uh, like <laughs> standing and walking. Rory Calhoun. Uh, no, uh, Scarlet Street is directed by Fritz Lang. This is directed. Uh, the Red House is directed by Delmer Daves, who um, was also a writer, but uh, he directed, among other things, the original Three Ten to Yuma. Oh yes, that's right. Um, I don't know why I I like I was I think I was reading about scarlet street and it said like oh well this combination of actors and maybe the producer i don't remember but uh but like oh they they had they were so successful with the red house that they thought they'd come back and and do scarlet street so like i remember there being some kind of link between them beyond robinson but uh okay what's what's next because we're running out of time oh shit we are yeah um that's right i have a hard out um yeah. All right. I forgot about this one. All right. So I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, like I guess I just realized like I have a lot of time on my hands. Uh, and so a friend came by and was visiting me at the last facility, and uh, and what's interesting is like this friend is like a movie guy who just doesn't have time to watch a lot of movies so he's like when he comes to visit me he's like we're gonna watch something right um so we watched uh um no sudden move together and uh which i had already seen uh and then he said like he goes hey uh are you at all interested in this movie uh murder mystery uh with jennifer aniston and adam sandler and i said so this well, is the first one. yeah the first one um 
and I said, you know what? Like with 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 a uh, game night firmly in my mind, I thought like, yeah, you know what? That might be fun. Holy shit. It has been quite a while since I've seen a movie that I disliked as much as Murder Mystery. It's just... It's just so lazy. Which is saying something considering that they're shooting in another country, that there's some action sequences, but just somehow there's just like the dynamic between Jennifer Aniston and Adam Sandler, like it's so casual that like all the stakes just disappear and yeah i just i can't say enough bad thing bad things about this movie and you know i'm uh, apparently it did well that's why they made a second one i'm sure the second one is as bad or worse as the than the first but uh yeah it, it was just just tonally it was just all wrong like you know i think of game night and it feels like there's perpetual stakes and if and you see like you know the chemistry between Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams is marvelous um and here I mean Jennifer Aniston and and Adam Sandler they do all right together but their dynamic is not at all appropriate for the the movie that they're in like even as a comedy and it just boy like, you know, I, I wasn't really expecting much, and yet I was still st- still disappointed. Okay. Uh, I haven't seen it. I have no, nothing to say. Uh, you know what? If you did see it, you probably still wouldn't have anything to say. Um, so then I wa- uh, the next one I watched was uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. Um, now, David, as you know, outside of some creative action, I've never really liked the Ant-Man movies, um, especially from a character standpoint. Um, because, like, with the character of Ant-Man, it's like, okay, is he a genius or is he an idiot? You can't do both, or you could, but frankly, you would need a better actor than Paul Rudd to pull it off. And I like Paul Rudd, but anyway... Uh, but I actually... This film, I had heard a lot of bad things about it before I saw it, and, uh... And I don't think I agree with those bad things. I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff, like, at the very least, like, the setting, where it's just, everything is just so crazy. Like, I was saying that the Marvel Universe, just everything is the same and everything is bland, and it's like, well, at the very least, with where this place is set in the art direction, uh, it definitely feels different, which I appreciate, but I will say that uh, for a good long while, it seems much more like a Star Wars movie than a Marvel movie, as far as the music, the art direction, the costumes, the dynamics. Um, but I still... But I you mean, a, uh, like which trilogy of Star Wars are you talking about? The new ones. Okay. Um, yeah, and so, uh, I did, but I didn't, I didn't mind that. Um, it's like, well, at least it's derivative of something other than other Marvel movies. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and and the story's kind of, you know, whatever, who cares? Um for me it was more about the action and the characters and 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 this and again the the visual quality of it. Um you know, uh Jonathan Majors plays a, a big character and I have to assume that character is going to be recast um at this point cuz yeah, I think uh Okay, so you have been paying attention to the news somewhat. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, as always, because I read comic books when I was young, like, it can be fun to see certain characters show up. Uh, but then there's always that question of, like, is this how I would picture a live-action version of the character? And the answer in one case is no, and the answer in another case is yes. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really didn't mind the movie at all. And, uh, and I'm... I wouldn't say I'm necessarily eager to see what's next with Marvel, because I feel like they've been pretty much rudderless for the last few years. But, uh, but yeah, but I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Um, okay, next is a film that, uh, that I've, I had never seen before, uh, despite being a huge fan of the director, and that is David Cronenberg's The Brood. From yeah. 1979. 79, yeah. Um, I have seen it. It's been 15 years, probably. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I'm a fan of David Cronenberg. I don't think he's ever made a film that I, like, actively dislike um and with the brood you know it's pretty early in his career but you can see like the the seeds of where he would wind up um like there's an element there's kind of a quality of scanners there there's a quality of the fly and and uh like naked lunch and all that um and yeah, and it features at the very least a great performance by Oliver Reed and a very disturbing one as well um but yeah, so essentially it's about this uh, psychiatrist who has these very unconventional methods um, in helping his patients deal with their pain um, that involves role play and eventually, as one might expect from a Cronenberg movie, um, like their psychological problems start to take on physical form. Um, and I won't say what that form is, it, but it, it's super creepy. Um, but yeah, like, if you're a Cronenberg fan, um, it's not nearly as intense as, as the movies he would go on to make, at least as far as, as far as body horror, but, um, but yeah, you, you'll still like it, and I, and this is one of those rare movies that was written and directed by him. Like, he, he mostly directs other people's scripts and makes them his own, um, but yeah, he wrote this one and directed it, which intrigued me even more. And, uh, yeah, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, would you consider it a good entry point for Cronenberg, or no? You know, that's a, that's a really good question, because on one hand, it's not nearly as intense. Um, I think for Cronenberg, well, I mean, he's had different phases of his career, you know? Like, if you want to think about Cronenberg as, as the body horror guy, which... Out, outside of Crimes of the Future, he hasn't been in a while. You know, he hasn't done the body horror thing in quite a while, with one exception. So, I almost feel like there's... There should be two entry points. And I would say History of Violence and The Fly. I feel like those those are two movies that, while still very difficult to watch, um, I feel like they're... They have, they have the best uh, hook. Like, in my case, I don't know if I would have liked The Brood if I wasn't already a fan of Cronenberg. So, I so I don't know if I'd describe it as a good entry point. Okay. Um, uh, by the way, you mentioned uh, um, him writing and directing. Crimes of the Future is also one that he wrote and, and directed. But he did that with more of them than you realize. 
there's just a period there where he didn't for a long time. Like in the history of violence in Eastern Promises years, he wasn't writing those. But like a lot of his 80s and 90s stuff is, is written by him. I didn't realize that until I just looked that up. Um, all right, we've got one more, and this is one I know we did talk about uh, on the Oscar episode, so I'm not sure how much more we want to say. Yeah, uh, it was uh, all quiet on the Western Front, which is uh, which I yeah I, I I seem to recall we talked about it, so I won't go into too much detail. Except it's just uh, there's a word that I use for for some movies, and it's it's the best word I can think of. Uh, uh, sturdy, like a movie where it's like you know I can't. It's not, it's not an amazing film, but I can't find a lot of flaws with it either. It's just a good movie that like, that I think grabs you and pulls you in, and uh, and and like doesn't let you go until it's over. And yet, somehow it it it, it's not necessarily like a a work of genius or anything like that. Like uh. And I mean, it's a beautiful looking movie with great acting and, and, and I really like the music, but somehow it's just, it is, it is exactly equal to the sum of its parts. You know, it's not less than, it's not more than, but there's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's a really good movie. Um, I'll ask this question of you because this didn't come up last time. I know you have more, you're more, you've seen more of the MCU and the MCU like TV stuff than I have. Do you think Danielle Bruhl qualifies as one of those actors who, if they're in a movie, there's gonna be at least one good scene? Cause I, he kind of is that for me, but I haven't seen a lot of the Marvel stuff that he did. Uh, well, yeah, I have seen a lot of the Marvel stuff he did. And uh, and I would say that's, that's right. Like he's one of those, yeah, he shows up and you think like, all right, well, as many scenes as he might be in, that's that's the number of scenes that'll be good. Yeah, it's you know there there are some actors like that. Obviously, my favorite actor, uh, Robert Duvall, is one of those. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I you know I I, I do like the movie. I don't wanna, I don't want to suggest that I don't. But you know, if I actually was making a list of my favorite movies of 2022. Um, I could see the movie maybe being like an honorable mention, if that, but not not quite cracking the top ten. And but that's the thing is like I feel like I'm underselling it. I I genuinely believe like if you watch the movie, you're gonna like it. It's a good movie, but just somehow some just like greatness like elude, uh, eludes it. 